It is Wednesday, May 18th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. Jared, it might not seem from the outside like this is busy season for fantasy football prep, but we got a lot going on. Updating projections, refining those projections across all the formats, which now includes Dynasty. So we're you know, using those projections not only for the preseason rankings, but in Dynasty to power the rankings there to also allow for draft war rooms to be set up there and used in rookie drafts and startup drafts going on right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I think, you know, we're, we're laying the groundwork for the summertime when, you know, and if you're listening to this now, you know, you're into fantasy year round and you, you're probably been laying your own groundwork, but we're kind of doing that so that once things get crazy in July and August, we can just be reacting to all that training camp and preseason news and kind of you know have a baseline to work off of so that, that's all on the site right now we updated all of our projections post nfl drafts uh we have our floor and ceiling projections up on the draft war room so you know if you're looking for you know safer guys early on which you know might be a good idea you can sort by uh, our floor projections and then once you get in the double digit rounds and you're looking for the upside uh you can sort by the upside uh, ceiling projections. The draft war room has our upside mode, which will kind of do that for you. It'll, you know, bubble guys with higher ceilings after the top of your rankings and kind of highlight those types of guys that you should be targeting in the later rounds of these, you know, big tournaments we're in now. And of course we're, sh- we're all shooting for upside probably even before we get to those double digit rounds of these best ball tournaments that are kind of the center of current fantasy drafting. We get to that in a minute. I have a draft war room going for my own dynasty startup draft on FFPC. I just posted a running draft recap last night. That's a free read on DraftSharks.com. So I'll keep updating that as the draft goes along, but you can check that out and see what's going on. We're into round eight as of this morning, lots of trades, lots of format specific strategy to look at through that. We also have, if you're a DS insider, uh, Jared's top best ball mania values, according to current underdog value. And that's going to be the focal point of this podcast today. I'm not going to give away Jared's picks from that article, because obviously we want you to go to the, the website and read that one. But we're going to talk about some of the guys that we see on underdog, which is half PPR, as well as some of the other, other sites that are full PPR guys that are values, guys that are overvalued right now. And maybe some guys that differ from site to site where if you're playing across sites, maybe you get somebody on DraftKings, you avoid him on underdog, you get him on drafters, you target him on FFPC. That can be part of the overall strategy, even beyond looking at a specific site and it's ADP. Yeah. And I'll give away most of the guys in that article on, on the pod. If you're listening to May, we appreciate you and you know, we'll, we'll give them away. But yeah, you're, you're totally right. The scoring systems are out and, and they differ quite a bit between underdog and DraftKings and FFPC. And you need to keep those in mind at all times in drafting. And it can be tough. It's tough to like, I have to make sure I, you know, refocus on each, you know, a lot of drafts I'm doing now are slow drafts. So I'm, you know, making a pick in the morning and then a pick in the afternoon on some other site. I have to make sure I refocus each time and, you know, know the format I'm drafting in because it definitely matters for how guys sit in the rankings. And it you know, obviously matters for ADP as well. I always make sure too to carefully look at the team that I'm drafting that player yep. too, because I usually have more than one of these going at once. So I want to make sure that I don't draft my next pick 
as though I, you know, the, the last pick that I made for another team is affecting that one. So it's, it's a lot to pay attention to the differing formats are certainly key and you can take advantage of people not really differentiating between the formats. Cause you know, there's plenty of that carries over between half PPR and full PPR. And of course, just in case you don't know, but you probably do PPR of course is point per reception. So half PPR is a half point per reception versus a, a whole point. And obviously that changes the scoring. One thing that I noticed in drafting a good bit on both underdog and drafters early this draft season is that I was surprised at running backs going later on underdog than they were on drafters when it should be the opposite. I would think because drafters is full PPR and underdog is half PPR. So ergo it's easier for a running back to, you know, hit those ceiling points in a half PPR format. Yeah. To me, that was the biggest edge on underdog last year. And I think it's corrected a bit so far this this season, but you know, we'll see how it shakes out the rest of the summer. But you know, last year on underdog, I, I thought people were drafting as if it was full PPR. And I don't know if they just didn't know or weren't able to adjust because you know, I think PPR is the most popular setting at this point. But underdog's half PPR. So I I agree. I think last year, especially the running backs were super undervalued earlier on. And I think that's the same case this year, maybe not to the same extent. But I do still think, you know, in general, the running backs early on look like better values than the wideouts. Yeah, I think we just have a lot of not necessarily zero RB, but, you know, running back fragility drafters on there. And that starts the hunger for early wide receivers. And then the rest of the field is chasing and it just pushes everybody further up. So I, I when I've been drafting on underdog, I like early running backs in general for the the value proposition. Let's start looking at that underdog ADP, Jared. And why don't you start us off with. Uh, one of your favorite values on there. Yeah, I'll kick it off at quarterback. And I have, yeah, so I first wanted to just mention Kyler Murray. We have him quarterback two in our rankings right now. I'm not sure exactly where, where you have him in your own set. Um, you know, he's quarterback five in ADP. And to me, you know, you can argue Kyler versus Mahomes and Herbert or Lamar Jackson. You can tell me Kyler Murray's your quarterback five, and that's fine. But on underdog, Kyler Murray's quarterback five, but he's going 13 picks behind quarterback four. So he's kind of in like his own tier. He's going 60th overall. So that's, you know, like right at the end of, of what round five. Um, so I, I think he, he kind of stands out as the best value among those elite quarterbacks. Beyond that, kind of later round targets a quarterback. Trevor Lawrence and Daniel Jones are my two favorites. Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence, quarterback 19 in ADP. We have him 14th in our rankings right now. Um, obviously disappointing rookie season, but I'm kind of giving him a mulligan for, you know, the Urban Meyer fiasco there. Jags added some weapons in uh, Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram. Hopefully they, they get a healthy season from Travis Etienne. That'd be big for the passing game. But I, I like the arrival of Doug Peterson, too, who throughout his time in Philadelphia, those were fast paced and pass leaning offenses. Um, actually, all five of Peterson's Eagles offenses finished top eight in total plays. Uh, they averaged 67 plays per game. The Jags last year averaged only 60 and a half offensive plays per game. That was 29th in the NFL. So if you're going to tell me they're going to run, you know, five, six, seven more plays per game, that that's big over the course of the season. So, you know, that that's the, the coaching change there is, I think, the biggest reason that I'm in on Trevor Lawrence this year. And from a coaching standpoint, Doug Peterson spent his entire career as a backup quarterback working with and under Andy Reid. He then joined the Eagles as the quarterback for the Donovan McNabb transition, started that first year and helped groom Donovan McNabb. Then as the coach of the Eagles, got the rookie Carson Wentz and brought him up to speed, um, made him an MVP candidate before, you know, the downturn. So there's reason to believe in Doug Peterson's coaching and 
it's a pretty low risk bet because you mentioned that Trevor Lawrence is going at a value range and he's going at even better value on other sites. He's QB 19 on on plenty of sites right now. So that's a floor bet on Trevor Lawrence. All he has to do is stay their starter this year and he's okay as QB 19. So anything beyond QB 19 is great. And we know that he has the running upside. I think adding to Trevor Lawrence's value for best ball purposes is that every single pass catcher that plays with him is going in a value range. All of his wide receivers are outside the top 40. Evan Ingram as their top tight end is outside the top 24 on a lot of sites, no higher than tight end 23 on anywhere that I checked earlier today. Travis Etienne, who is a high ceiling receiver at running back is going round five, round six outside the top 20 at running back. So, I mean, there are many, many ways to play Trevor Lawrence right now. He is, he has been to this point, one of my highest owned quarterbacks and he's going to stay that way. Yeah. We'll get to Evan Ingram. His, his ADP is just kind of stupid right now across these sites. But yeah, I think Christian Kirk, um, not a talent I'm like super high on, but they gave him so much money and you know, there's like, there's a lot of bodies in Jacksonville, but there's no like target dominator. So I think, you know, Kirk is going to see more volume this season than his current ADP suggests. Yeah, you can get a lot of value in these drafts by targeting unexciting players because nobody wants to draft Christian Kirk, which is why he's, you know, wide receiver 45 or in that range across sites. But they clearly paid him to lead the team in targets and you don't have to commit to him. You can take 10 Trevor Lawrence teams and make three of them Christian Kirk and sprinkle in late Zay Jones and sprinkle in Marvin Jones and Travis Etienne. You know, you can mix it up. You don't have to commit to somebody here, which is the point of where they're going. Justin Fields is in a similar range to Trevor Lawrence, and I I still think he might be the single best quarterback value right now. An underdog, at least specifically, he's quarterback 18 in underdog ADP right now. We know, I guess, why, because nobody's talking excitedly about Justin Fields in real football terms, but that doesn't matter. I mean, last year, he didn't play well. He was on a bad offense, and he was playing under a coaching staff that has since been fired. He still topped 20 fantasy points in each of his final four full games last year, finished QB five, QB nine, QB nine and QB 10 in those four weeks. So a bad Justin Fields is going to be the bears starter. We know that this year, which makes it nonsensical that he's behind Trey Lance in ADP right now, because we don't know for sure yet that Trey Lance is going to be starting for the 49ers. So a bad Justin Fields can easily be QB 10 in fantasy scoring average, a good Justin Fields has upside way beyond that, of course, because of the rushing. And then similar to Trevor Lawrence, we've got Darnell Mooney at wide receiver 31. We've got Cole Komet at tight end 18. So you can pair either of those guys with them. You could draft both of them and just go all in on Justin Fields this year. And if he does smash, you got a ton of value. Yeah. I, I want to like Justin Fields more than I do right now. It's been super disappointing. The lack of help Chicago has given him this off season, but I'm with you that at quarterback 18, like he can have a bad passing season. And as long as we, as long as he does what, you know, we know he's capable of doing as a runner, um, he's probably going to beat that quarterback 18 ADP. So he's definitely someone, you know, I, again, I I wish I could get him into like the top 12 quarterbacks because I think he has that upside. If he, if if the bears just added like one legit wide receiver to, you know, pair with Darnell Mooney, I would have, you know, been able to push fields up into that top 12, but um, he, he's priced at a, at a point where, you know, I think you can still take him and probably profit. Yeah. I mean, he, he came out outside of the top 12 for me too, which I, you know, going in, I probably wouldn't have guessed, but when you look back, it makes sense with all the quarterbacks up there, but yep. he's not somebody that you have to draft as a top 12 quarterback to understand the top 12 upside to him. Correct. All right. Who else you got here? I mentioned Daniel Jones is kind of the other late round quarterback I'm taking. And it's definitely not, 
a comfortable stance to have. But, you know, he's he's quarterback 24 on underdog right now going in the 15th round. We have him 19th in our rankings right now. And, and this is a, kind of another going along with Trevor Lawrence, the coaching change. I think you know, going from Jason Garrett to Brian Dable in New York is going to be a huge upgrade. Um, you know, the Bills under Dable, we know over the past couple of seasons, are one of the fastest paced offenses in the NFL and the pass heaviest offenses in the NFL. I don't, I don't think they'll go to that extreme with Daniel Jones in New York because they, they you know, don't have the weapons at the Bills do, and, and you know, Daniel Jones is not Josh Allen. But I, I do think you're going to get more plays and more passing out of the Giants. I think you'll just get a more creative offensive scheme. Um, and, and they, they've helped Daniel Jones this offseason. Evan Neal in the first round of the NFL draft gives them two solid tackles now that actually could be a pretty nice offensive line in New York. Uh, they had Wondell Robinson in the second round of the NFL draft to go with Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay. So, you know, there's some upside at least with the, the wide receiver core there. And then Saquon Barkley, I mean, if we can get a healthy season out of him, that's, you know, suddenly a pretty nice group of weapons around Daniel Jones in a much better offense. And he gives you what I still think is underrated rushing ability. He is 10th among all quarterbacks in rushing yards per game over the last three seasons, 26.3 rushing yards per game for Daniel Jones. So he's a guy, I, I think he has the upside to, you know, sneak into the top 12 this season. Um, again, he's going uh, 24th among quarterbacks on underdog right now. And the Giants didn't do anything to give Daniel Jones a harder path to stay at quarterback this year. The way that they handled quarterback so far, at least this offseason, says that they are going to have Daniel Jones start this year. And then we'll see what happens beyond that. Tyrod Taylor is the backup. That is definitely not somebody that you're hoping to start. At some point during the season, they didn't draft anyone, even though all of the quarterbacks besides Kenny Pickett fell. So they clearly, you know, didn't seize any opportunities for a guy like Malik Willis or Matt Corral or even Sam Howell, even though they could have at the expense of like missing out on a day three corner or safety. So I I think that these Giants coaches and the GM say, Daniel Jones is our best bet for this year. We're not sure that we're ready to commit to him beyond that, but uh, we're going to roll with him for now and see what happens. And I think similar to the other quarterbacks we talked about, the values on all of the players around him just make the Giants worth targeting in general because you can say, I'm all in on Daniel Jones and his receivers this year. And it doesn't mean that you're betting highly on them. It means that you're taking quarterback 24 and like wide receiver 50 and 57. I mean, if those guys don't work out, your roster can still be okay even. Yeah, and again, I think this is going to be a pass-leaning offense. I think it's going to be very wide receiver-centric. That's kind of what the Bills' offense was under Dayball, and you know their tight ends right now are Ricky Seals-Jones and Jordan Aiken. So I think you could see, you know, Tony and Galladay, maybe even Robinson. Then you have like Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard, but you know Shepard's coming off the serious injury. I, I just think you're going to see a big chunk of these teams' targets go to the wide receiver. So I do think they're good stacking opportunities at the price tags right now. And even if you don't want Daniel Jones, I say go ahead and target Giants receivers. I, I, I would like to target wide receiver cores, wide receiver situations where everybody is outside of starter range in fantasy because somebody's probably going to score up there. And even if it's just spike weeks, those will help out as well. But a, a situation that's so unclear or so unexciting that everybody's outside the top 40, there's only upside to mine from it. I mentioned the Jaguars. We we're talking Trevor Lawrence. It's similar with the Giants. An underdog, Kadarius Toney is their top wide receiver in ADP at wide receiver 53. Ricky Seals-Jones is their starting tight end. He's at tight end 38. (laughs) The Patriots are one more that I think fit that category. Jacoby Myers is the top uh, wide receiver in underdog ADP among the Patriots at wide receiver 61. So I think you can just find value in just taking whatever guy makes sense at various points throughout a draft. Even Kenny Galladay, I think, is is worth – 
betting on at his price right now. I mean, obviously coming off the disappointing 2021. And I guess my question with him is just what this new regime and coaching staff thinks about him. So it was the old regime that signed him to that big deal. But I mean, at, at this point, unless like he's going to lose his job to Darius Slayton, which I don't think is the case. Um, I think Galladay, again, is going to play a big role in the offense, at least this season. You know, maybe beyond 2022, he's out of there. But I think at least this year, Galladay is going to have a big role. Yeah, and what Brian Dable has said is that we like the way that he fights for contested catches. So we're going to try to exploit him in that area. That at least sounds to me like somebody that's going to get a lot of use in the end zone. And, you know, we know that Kenny Galladay is a downfield type. So, again, if, even if it's just spike weeks from him, he's that type of player that can give us those high upside weeks at the wide receiver 57 price or in that range across sites. He's yep. been an easy buy for me as well. Sticking with the Giants and looking at running back, Saquon Barkley is somebody that I have to go into every draft and say, all right, Matt, we can't draft Saquon Barkley every time because he could get injured and it will just throw everything away. But a healthy Saquon Barkley this year, it could be a league winner. Running back 14 on underdog. He's early in round three. He's in that same kind of range across PPR sites as well. I mean, if you need me to make the case to you for Saquon Barkley at running back 14, then you just don't want to draft him this year. And I mean, I guess good luck to you if, if you're just totally out on Saquon Barkley this year. The value, the upside is just obvious to me. So unless you think Saquon Barkley is completely broken and he's never going to be good at football again, I don't understand not getting some of him right now. I'm actually shocked that the Giants have done so little at running back behind Saquon Barkley this offseason. You know, Matt Breda, they returned Gary Brightwell and Antonio Williams. I believe they they didn't draft a running back. They, they signed, I think, uh, Corbin, jo- Josh Corbin, I want to say it is, as an undrafted free agent. I mean, they, they've done guy. nothing. And they're still, yeah, and they're still, I mean, Devontae Booker is still out there. They could bring him back. You know, Darrell Williams, Jarek McKinnon, there's guys out there. But the fact that they've done so little up until now tells me that, you know, one, they're confident in Barkley's health at this point, and two, that they're going to feed him. And it's another thing with like Gallaudet. You know, Barkley could and maybe likely will be gone after this season. But you know that that's like a dynasty thing for for redraft. Um, man, to me, he's like he's going to be easily among the top ten running backs in you know, total touches per game, and you know could easily be a top five running back in volume. And the fact that he has no contract with the Giants beyond the season is all the more reason for them to feed him. Let's just use up whatever yep. Barkley has left now, and then we'll let some other team figure out what to do with them. Makes sense to me. Who else you got for underdog values? Sticking at running back, James Conner, um, and his AD, his ADP is climbing. It's climbed all offseason. He was like a fourth or fifth round pick when the underdog drafts kicked off. He's he's going in the middle of the third now. I still think he's a value there. Um, you know, he's running back fifteen in underdog underdog ADP. We have him running back eleven in half PPR. It is Eno Benjamin and Keontae Ingram behind James Conner on the Cardinals depth chart right now. So I think he's going to get workhorse usage and we saw that last season in the games chase Edmonds missed Edmonds missed five games Connor averaged 15.8 carries and 5.4 targets in those five games I think that that's I think the type of workload we're looking at this season remember too with Connor the Cardinals gave him a three-year 21 million dollar deal 13 and a half million guaranteed that's a nice free agent contract in this day and age so uh, I think they like him I think they, they like how he fits the offense and you know he's still only like 26 27 years old so he's had some injury issues in the past but to me you know he's not really a bigger injury risk than, than any running back is I definitely understand and agree with the case for J- James Conner I'd be lying if I didn't say that he makes me a little uneasy in round three but I can't say that he's a bad pick for all the reasons you laid out what what makes you uneasy is it the the durability stuff 
Yeah, I guess so. I think both he and the Cardinals trusting him and trusting the Cardinals, you know, separately makes me uneasy. So combine them and put them in round three with other high level players. It just it's one of those things where I'm not saying it's a bad place for him to be or he's a bad pick and he absolutely could work out. But he also just the whole combo makes me a little uneasy. Yeah. And, and again, Connor's ADP has been rising and I, I think I expect it to continue heading that direction. So he's a guy I'm really trying to get now in these drafts when he's still going in the third round, because to me, like he, you know, probably should be like a two, three turn type of pick. And I think his ADP might get to there. And at that point, like I'm, I'm hoping I'll just have enough Connor around have to really force him as his ADP continues to climb. Maybe part of it for me too, is wishing that I had taken him before free agency, you know, yeah thinking that there was a chance that the Cardinals would give him this much money and not get anything else besides Keontae Ingram to join him in the backfield. I'm just thinking, well, I guess I missed the opportunity on James Conner. I think I'll look elsewhere now. Might be subconscious. I think it is. Get some Conner. <laughs> um, I'm going to switch it over to wide receiver. And I, I want to mention Tyler Lockett. I don't want to make too strong a case for him because nothing's exciting about Seattle this year. But Tyler Lockett is a really good player. And he's wide receiver 42 on underdog, which is just too late for him, regardless of what the quarterback situation is. And, you know, it seems like it's most likely going to be Drew Locke at this point. There's probably still a chance that it could be somebody that's not on the team. But even if it's Drew Locke, Tyler Lockett's a very good player. And I think that people still look at him and DK Metcalf and think Tyler Lockett's the short range guy. DK Metcalf's the downfield guy. So if Drew Locke comes in, he's going to kill Tyler Lockett's value. Tyler Lockett actually beat DK Metcalf an average depth of target by 2.3 yards last year. So Lockett's not Cole Beasley. <laughs> He's a good player who can win at various levels of the field and at wide receiver 42, you know, it's just a, a point. It gets to a point in the draft where you're like, all right, fine. Tyler Lockett cannot fall any further. We'll see what happens with him. Yeah. He's like one of those guys. I don't really want to be like, way higher on than consensus. But I mean, if he's going wide receiver forward too, I'm definitely going to have some Tyler Lockett and you know, he he'll, he'll turn, he'll turn 30 in September, but he remained awesome last season. He actually set a career high in yards per route run 2.35 yards per route career high ninth best among 89 qualifying wide receivers last season. So he, he remains a big time talent. And like, even with crappy quarterback play, like give me a talented wide receiver. Who's going to see over a hundred targets, um, you know, at, at wide receiver 42, um, he's he's 33rd in our half PPR rankings. Yeah. And you're drafting him in spike week range as opposed to he's going to be an every week starter for me range. Yep. All right. What else you got from wide receiver? Yes. Yeah, so I actually had an old wide receivers section here in my undervalued guys. And it was one Tyler Lockett and two Adam Thielen, who is wide receiver 38 in ADP on underdog. He finished wide receiver 17 in points per game last year. And yeah, Justin Jefferson, the clear number one wide receiver in Minnesota. Now that was the case last year. Adam Thielen still saw a 22% target share in his, in his 11 healthy games last season. So there is still room for him to, you know, be a 20 plus percent target share guy. He's wide receiver 26 in our half PPR rankings, which again is 10 spots lower than he finished last year, but it's still 12 spots ahead of where he's going in, in a uh, underdog ADP right now. I think that people probably downgrade Adam Thielen for sharing a first name with the lead singer from Maroon 5, and they channel their hatred for Kirk Cousins into Adam Thielen's ADP. Those are the only two things that I think could make sense for him continuously being drafted down in wide receiver three range, even though every time we see him on the field, he's like, hey guys, I'm like a fringe wide receiver one if you want to play me. Yep. I mean, he's just, he's just an older guy. He's not exciting anymore or whatever. We'll, we'll take the discount. 
Yeah, for sure. We'll also keep taking Brandon Cooks. This is the the like working title for this show is just draft Brandon (laughs) Cooks. If you take nothing else away from the show, just draft Brandon Cooks, regardless of where you're drafting and what format, because he's a wide receiver three everywhere except in real life. Yeah, and I mean, he finished wide receiver 21 last year, and he finished wide receiver 15 in his first year with Houston. He he did not have good quarterback play in either of those seasons. So, yeah, quarterback play is a concern. I think quarterback play could be better this season. Davis Mills was pretty promising as a rookie, and now he heads into year two in the same system, another season, another offseason with Brandon Cook. So the quarterback play could be even better. But really, you're paying for, you know, a guy who is going to see – 120 plus targets, you know, Cook saw 133 last year. That was 12th most among wide receivers. That's a number he could definitely hit again this season. And as you mentioned, he's, he's still really good. He was 27th in PFF receiving grade last year, 17th in yards per route run among 90 qualifying wide receivers. So talented guy going to see big volume. He's an easy buy at wide receiver 30. Yeah. He's the kind of player in these that I'm not going to worry about how high my ownership <laughs> percentage is on him. I just, I just take him because he's going in a, a range where even if he, blew out his Achilles in the preseason. I mean, he's not going to kill my rosters. Yeah. And there, there does seem to be enough, you know, people who do what we do, who are much higher on cooks than wide receiver 30. So I would expect his ADP to rise a bit. So, you know, I, I think, you know, get, get as much as you can right now when he's going, you know, wide receiver 30. It, it never does though. It, it, it never <laughs> rises. You keep thinking it's going to happen because somebody it's, else does it. And you're like, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, he's probably coming up. And then drafters are like, that's Brandon cooks. He plays for the Texans. Yeah. No, thanks. Very true. Um, one more wide receiver that I want to talk about and back to the situation thing. It's not quite to the level of, you know, looking for teams where the entire group is outside the top 40, but looking at situations where I think that ADPs are overstating the clarity of the roles among the wide receivers. And it's Kansas city. Juju Smith Schuster is wide receiver 27 and underdog ADP is going in round five. Sky Moore is wide receiver 39. He's going in round seven and Marquez Valdez Scantling is wide receiver 52 going in round 10. To me, that's too much separation among those guys. I don't know which of them is going to score the most fantasy points this year. So if one's going three plus rounds behind the other two, and got a decent sized financial commitment from the team and has high ceiling characteristics. He can be a downfield guy is working with Patrick Mahomes. I just, there's no reason for me to not buy MVS going in wide receiver five range. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. And to me, you know, Sky Moore was on my list of overvalued guys right now, as you said, Um, wide receiver 39 on underdog in the late seventh round. And I, I get the appeal. Like, you know, he's a prospect we like. They took him in the second round. But man, you're, you know, he, he, he's, he's still a rookie coming from the Mac. There's going to be some learning curve there. Travis Kelsey's going to soak up the targets that he does. I, I, to, to me, like, I, I do think Juju and MBS, you know, are, are locked into some sort of role. Like, you know, Sky Moore is not going to totally push them aside. So I, I get the upside argument for Sky Moore. But again, at wide receiver 39, there's just a, a lot of ways he can, he can fail to pay off there. Yeah, I, I do think that there's some Elijah Moore potential to Sky Moore here in that, you know, last year, Elijah Moore was going to a team with Corey Davis, with Jamison Crowder, and there was a stretch where he was their wide receiver one. You know, certainly it took Corey Davis getting hurt in that stretch to help. But, you know, there is a chance that Sky Moore is the top scoring fantasy receiver among these guys. So I think it's a, a mild overpay as opposed to a massive overpay. But, you know, again, if you're comparing yeah. the draft price of Sky Moore with MBS, it's very easily MBS for me. 
Yeah, I definitely want to make sure I get some Sky more. I'm just going to have to, you know, scroll way down our wide receiver rankings to make sure I, I, I get some shares. And that's why that you draft throughout draft season, because if you were drafting Sky more earlier, then you already have your Sky more right. shares from like rounds 15, 16, 17. Those are looking nice right now. Oh, yeah. Anybody else for the underdog um, value section? Yeah, uh, one more wide receiver. I guess two more wide receivers I wanted to get to. Um, the first is Chase Claypool. He, to me, he's wide receiver 52 on underdog. Like, that's just an upside play I want to make at this point. I know last year was disappointing, um, but even last year he finished wide receiver 38. So he finished 14 spots higher than he's being drafted right now. Um, you know, maybe George Pickens comes in and takes his job at some point this season. I don't, I'm not betting on that. I do expect the Steelers to run a bunch of three wide receiver sets anyway. So I think Claypool and Pickens will both be on the field. And then a quarterback, like I, I think there's a good chance Trubisky and or Pickett prove to be an upgrade over what we got from Ben Roethlisberger last season. So I'm just, I'm just taking the shot on the upside on Claypool again, you know, he, he finished wide receiver 18 as a rookie. Um, I think there's still that type of ceiling on him and, he, and he's going 52 among wideouts. I was looking at Chase Claypool being in the 40s and maybe 50 uh, right around this range on PPR sites and thinking he was a value there. I was shocked to get to the underdog ADP this morning and see that he was at wide receiver 52 because if he does work out even even on a week to week basis this year, he's the kind of player that we want in the reserve range at wide receiver. He's the just the way that he plays. He has the high ceiling yardage. He has the high ceiling touchdown potential. So if he hits he's going to do a lot in those categories. It's, it's shocking to me that he's going as late as he is. I think he's an easy buy and you just ignore what the quarterback situation is. I projected Claypool very conservatively, like, you know, closer to his floor than a ceiling. And he came out wide receiver 41 in our rankings right now. So even that's 11 spots ahead of ADP. Mm -hmm. And even within that, it's like, you know, if he's wide receiver three, one week and wide receiver 80, the next week, we'll definitely take that. For sure. All right. Who else are you hitting at receiver? Oh, my, my last guy. I just have a note here that says draft Will Fuller. He's wide receiver 70 on underdog. And we don't even know where he's going to be playing yet, but he's going to sign somewhere. Um, you know, Green Bay would be unbelievable. I, I just think, you know, when he signs, he's going to shoot up like 20 spots in ADP immediately. Yes. And, and I think he should because he's still he's the type of, type of player we want in best ball, if nothing else. Like he's going to give you some spike weeks. I don't know how long he's going to stay healthy for, and I don't know how consistent he'll be on a week to week basis, but you know, he's still in his, you know, mid to, to late twenties. He's a big play threat. And, you know, again, there are some spots out there still green Bay being the big one. I think Cleveland's another one where if he lands, you know, he has a chance to you know play a big, big role this season. Chicago. He'd be a really nice fit in oh, Chicago. Yeah. And you know, there's some risk with Will Fuller. He's got the injury history. He also, Seems like not the safest guy in terms of off-field stuff, but he's in the 70s now in ADP. I mean, that's just a no-brainer. Like, unless he doesn't play football this year, he's going to pay off there wherever he lands. So I agree, you got to take some Will Fuller. And, you know, it's a matter of not treating each roster that you draft as a team that you're playing out this season. But, you know just you're, you're probably drafting for volume at this point. So you want to make sure that there's a, at least a smattering of Will Fuller to see what happens with him. I think Julio Jones is similar, not yeah. quite, you know, not quite the same player type as Will Fuller, but if somebody signs Julio Jones this year, it's probably to give him a whole bunch of targets. And if he's healthy, then, you know, he's still probably a pretty good player. Yeah. I, I, I guess I have questions about how much Julio has left, but like, just like Fuller, as soon as, 
Jones signs anywhere, like his ADP is going to shoot up like three, four or five rounds. So you might as well just take some of him now and, you know, have him cheaper than these other teams you're competing against in these tournaments. That's the one thing that I have to get myself past when I'm drafting best ball teams is, yeah, but what about that guy? And I'm weighing, against, weighing him against this guy that I know what the outlook is. I, if you're, you know, if, if you're only drafting a few teams, that's okay. But you got to mm-hmm. make sure that you're spreading it around and getting some of those high upside types. And again, with these two players, the reason that they make sense is because the upside is way beyond what you're paying to get them at this point. And because yeah, and, they're going to jump at least several rounds in ADP as soon as they sign. Exactly. I mean, you do have to treat these players like stocks in, in you know, in a, a lot of cases where like, you know, if I can get Julio right now in round 18 and then, you know, 80% of the teams I'm competing against in this tournament took them in round 13. Like I, I have an edge right there where if Julio does anything, you know, I, I just have him on what, you know, at least theoretically should be better teams because I took him five rounds later than most of these other teams did. Any tight ends you want to hit before we move to overpriced guys? Yeah. So we briefly mentioned one, Evan Ingram, tight end 25 right now. He's going, he's going behind Taysom Hill on underdog, um, going behind Logan Thomas too. And, you know, about 10 other guys that I would not take over Evan Ingram. And I, I, like I get people are done with him. I wanted to be done with Evan Ingram. Like I was ready to be done with him this season, but you know, <laughs> you're, you're stronger than I, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he signs with Jacksonville, which I think it's a good landing spot. Um, you know, Doug Peterson throughout his time in Philly consistently, you know, th- those tight end target shares in Philly were over 30%. Um, most of Peterson seasons there. And yeah, they had Zach Ertz and then, Dallas Goddard. So the personnel dictated a bit of that, but you know, I still expect this to be a team where, you know, we have the tight ends um, seeing a higher than league average target share. They have Evan Ingram, they have Dan Arnold, but I do think the contract they gave Ingram um, just one year, but they gave him $9 million. It actually makes him a top 10 tight end in terms of 2022 salary. So I think they envision a big role for him. Um, I know he's been disappointing so far considering you know, that he was like a first round NFL draft pick. But he also had been a top eight tight end, uh, sorry, top 18 tight end in each of his first four NFL seasons. He was top seven in points per game each of his, each of his first three. So I mean, he's been a fantasy contributor. And you know, again, he might be in his best situation ever right now under this coaching staff and with Trevor Lawrence, who you know, I, I think will prove to be an upgrade over Daniel Jones. Yeah, there's a big difference between he's been disappointing versus expectation and he sucks. Yeah. And I think Evan Ingram is a he's been disappointing versus expectation. And, you know, we'll see over the next few years how much of that was his situation. But at worst, yep. he's a good athlete for the position who just got a bunch of money from a new team. And, you know, he talks about the nebulous wide receiver situation there. There's at least you know, a small chance that Evan Ingram could finish this season with the most targets among Jaguars. So I will absolutely take whatever the percentage chances on that at the point where I'm paying for him in drafts specific to underdog at tight end. Noah Fant is tight end 21. And I was already looking at him as, you know, a semi value on the other sites, but not really somebody to highlight, but at tight end 21, he's about He's several rounds later on underdog than he is on the PPR sites where he's typically in the mid teens. So I think if you're looking at your overall best ball portfolio, underdog should be a place where you take a shot on Noah Fant, you know, just for the spike weeks, he's going to have at least a few starter level weeks. So from tight end 21, it's an easy spot. Yeah. I mean, that's just a bet on talent, right? Like there's quarterback concerns in Seattle and, you know, target share concerns maybe with, with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett there. But I mean, just the talent Fant gives you at tight end 21. I like that call. Then actually sandwiching Noah Fant 
on underdog, David Njoku at tight end 20, Gerald Everett at tight end 22, uh, you know, Njoku uh, back in Cleveland, but without Austin Hooper and with a big quarterback upgrade and Deshaun Watson. And then Gerald Everett, to me, looks like he's just going to step into the role that Jared Cook played for the Chargers last year. And Cook was definitely useful in spots. And, you know, really Everett might be better at this point of those two guys' careers. So, um, yeah, there are definitely some intriguing late round tight ends an underdog and really in all these drafts where you can, you know, wait at that position this year and grab three of these guys. And I think all, you know, all three of those guys could have, you know, upside both for the entire season and on, you know, an individual week basis. I would say the way that the chargers chose to sign Everett with Jared cook available and paid him over two years says that the chargers are like, Oh, this guy's a better version of Jared cook right now. So yeah, I agree with that. And David and Joku, by the way, came out in the top 12 at tight end for me. So he's a buy everywhere right now. Love that. Let's switch to the negative side. Talk about some overpriced guys. I'll start at quarterback and I'm really just not buying Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes on underdog right now. Both are inside the top 40 and beyond just where you have to get them among quarterbacks. Both of them require paying up to get their top receiver to pair with them for stacking purposes. It's difficult to pair Josh Allen with Stefan Diggs at any point, you know, regardless of where you're drafting, unless you're reaching on one or both of them. So I think that takes some of the allure away from the the upside of Josh Allen himself. Certainly you can take Allen and still pair him with Gabriel Davis or, you know, whoever later in the draft, but I, it's not somebody that I am all that interested in. And I think Mahomes even more so is just going too early versus what his current outlook is. I think, you know, over the past couple of years, it was Patrick Mahomes maybe is the QB one at worst. He's close with Josh Allen right now. I don't think that there's difference between him and Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert, and maybe Kyler Murray as well. And Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert are both behind Mahomes and ADP. Kyler Murray is nearly two rounds later in underdog ADP. I think there's position leading upside to all three of those guys behind Mahomes. Plus there's just other quarterbacks beyond that, that I like, where I don't feel like I need to get Mahomes and also pay up to get Travis Kelsey, who I have questions about at this point. Yeah, and maybe I'm crazy, but I think Jalen Hurts has similar upside to all those guys. As he's an upside, I, mean, I think he's, he's he's riskier and the right. floor is lower. But I think ceiling wise, um, I think he has the ceiling to you know lead the position in fantasy points this season. When you talk about his rushing ability plus the addition of AJ Brown, so yeah, I'm definitely off Allen and Mahomes when I can get you know Kyler and Lamar specifically. You know, one, two, three rounds later sometimes for Kyler Murray. Um, then again, even, you know, Jalen Hurts is going, you know, four rounds behind those other guys. So, yeah, uh, I, I think they're better values if you want one of those elite quarterbacks. Yeah, I agree. Who else you got for overpriced? Aaron Rodgers to me. Where 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 did Rodgers come out for you in your projections? Because he came out super low for me. Yeah, he's like 17 um, or 18. Okay, yeah. And he's going quarterback 12 in ADP. So I have no interest. I mean, Trey Lance, Deshaun Watson, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Tua Tagovailoa, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, they're all going behind Aaron Rodgers, and I'd take them straight up over Aaron Rodgers. And maybe that proves to be stupid because we're talking about a Hall of Fame quarterback, and maybe he you know, does it despite the loss of Devontae Adams. But it's such a massive loss. Rodgers is 38 years old now, so at some point he is going to you know, hit some type of, of wall. Um, and he doesn't give you much rushing anymore. You know, his, and as he's gotten older, his rushing production has tailed off. So I have no interest in Rodgers at cost. And here's the thing is if he is able, if he and the Packers are able to just, you know, withstand the Devonte Adams loss and still be as good a team, they're going to be leading a lot and not throwing the ball a ton. We've already seen week to week that they don't mind taking the air out of the ball mm-hmm. in the second half and lowering his scoring upside. So I just, 
I don't think that there's any difference between Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins this year from a fantasy standpoint. I just have no uh, reason to invest in them. Yeah, that's a good point. That it's it's been a slow and you know balanced play calling offense um, over the, the the past few years now. And they and the Packers might they probably should lean more towards the run now with Adams gone. You know, with two good backs and Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. There's nobody outstandingly bad. I don't think in ADP at running back, some guys that I'm just kind of skipping over at, at cost or Javante Williams in round two, David Montgomery, JK Dobbins in round four, Elijah Mitchell still a skip for me in the middle of round six. We've got Miles Sanders, CEH, Damian Harris, a round or two behind him. We've got Josh mm-hmm. Jacobs, Travis Etienne, Brees Hall within the, the previous round and a half. So within that whole picture, I just, Elijah Mitchell's not a guy or in a situation that I want to invest in. Yeah. Again, that's the interesting thing about underdog is I don't really think many of these running backs are overvalued in terms of like overall ADP. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. like, like you mentioned Dobbins and I have, have him here because you know he's 24th in our half PPR running back rankings. He's 19th in underdog ADP. So he's overvalued to me a bit from that perspective, but Dobbins is also going at the four or five turn right now in underdog ADP. So I, I don't really hate that price tag when you compare it to, you know, where he's going against other positions. Um, so yeah, I don't, I didn't really have a, a whole lot of overvalued running backs, you know, on underdog with the half PPR scoring Derrick Henry still going RB three. I'm not going to get much. If any Derrick Henry at RB three, you know, I, I prefer Austin Eckler and Najee Harris straight up and they're, they're going behind him. So that's a guy I'm not going to get a whole lot of. I would certainly mix in Derrick Henry in these drafts just because we've probably, seen probably what, smart. <laughs> what he can do wide receiver. Who do you not like? AJ Brown is still going too high for me. I'm not sure if his ADP is kind of still settling post trade to Philly, but I mean, he's going wide receiver 10 on underdog at the two, three turn. The big question in Philly this year is how pass heavy do they go after adding AJ Brown? I, I definitely think they're going to pass quite a bit more they, than they did last year, but you know, it, it, you know it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be a 60 plus percent pass team. And I don't think they're going to be, you know, top 10, even in the NFL in pass attempts. Um, and it's, it's, you know, Tough target competition for AJ Brown with Devontae Smith, who, you know, first round pick coming off an impressive rookie season and Dallas Goddard. Um, so I don't think you're going to get AJ Brown seeing, you know, 28% of the team's targets. I think, you know, 25% is, is kind of his, his probably his ceiling there. Um, there's, you know, still to me passing questions on Jalen Hurts. You know, we'll see how that works out. You have, you know, AJ Brown joining a new team, having to learn a new offense. I know, you know, that worked fine for guys like Steph Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins over you know the past couple of years. And it could definitely work fine for AJ Brown, but it's another question for him there. And then there's durability concerns. And, you know, some of the stuff I've listened to since that trade has said that, you know, Tennessee's concerns about Brown's ability to stay healthy and play through injuries was one of the reasons they made that trade. Um, so to me, there's just a lot of, a lot of questions and a lot of concerns with AJ Brown where I'm not taking them at wide receiver 10. You can't love a guy that young having surgery on both knees already in his history. So I I agree. You know, AJ Brown's a terrific player. He's probably going to go on being a a terrific player as long as he's healthy, but he hasn't fallen enough in ADP to be worth it. I don't think because from where he's going in early round three, still he's got to either see high target volume or be very efficient on what he gets. And he's just not in a great situation for either of those things. Gabriel Davis is another guy that's still just too expensive to me and specifically on underdog on the other sites on PPR sites, he's in early to mid thirties and ADP, which I think you can justify a little bit more on underdog. He's wide receiver 26. He's the middle of round five. He's right in front of Juju Smith, Schuster, Michael Thomas, Rashad Bateman, Brandon cooks, Darnell Mooney. 
Now, I think if you're trying to justify Gabriel Davis here, the justification is I already took Josh Allen and I'm trying to win those one week things at the end of the season. That's fine. I can understand getting Gabriel Davis on some Josh Allen teams, you know, probably part of why I don't want Josh Allen where he's going either, but on his own as a value, I don't think that Gabriel Davis comes close to any of those guys in full season upside. So I, I'm just, I, I'm a non-buyer on Gabriel Davis at his underdog ADP. I don't love that ADP, but I, I also want to be in on Gabriel Davis this year. Um, I, I just think he's good. And it's, that's an offense I want to have pieces of. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I guess this is the case where you, know, you get him on FFBC or you get him on these other sites where he's going in, you know, the, you know, wide receiver thirties, like you mentioned, yeah, I, I, I do think wide receiver 26 is pricey. Uh, but he, Davis is definitely not a guy I, I, I want to be fading this season. Mm, I'll fade him for you so you don't have to. Who else do you got on your dislike list? Um, Jalen Waddle going too high for me. So he's uh, wide receiver 13 in ADP on underdog. I mean, something just doesn't make sense here because on underdog, Tyreek Hill is wide receiver 8 and Jalen Waddle is wide receiver 13. But, you know, two is like quarterback 18 or something like th- those things can't all be true. I think Jalen Waddle is just a bit overvalued right now. I do think Tyreek Hill is going to. Emerge is like the the at least the one A to you know Waddle's one B if not a clear like one two I think Hill's going to lead that team in targets and you know Waddle had a, had a nice rookie season um, but a lot of that was Valiant Field he had 140 targets that was you know top I believe it was a top five mark among wide receivers it was definitely top ten I just think that's going to dip off a bit um, and he's he's going you know five six seven spots too high among wide receivers to me. Yeah, I think that if you're buying either Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle at cost, you know, at anything more than just a, I'm buying everybody in that range level, then you should certainly be buying Tua Tagovailoa as well. Yeah. Tight end, I think Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews are too pricey among the top really? 17 overall in this format that doesn't even give full value to receptions. They're five full rounds ahead of TJ Hawkinson and Dalton Schultz. They're more than six rounds ahead of Dallas Goddard. And even if you look at Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews and say, yeah, but the reason I like them is because each of them is the top target for their team. They're both more than around ahead of Kyle Pitts, who is that plus the dynamic athlete in the middle of round three. So for me, Kyle Pitts would be the, the kind of starting point of where I'm really thinking about tight end, probably not buying him in that format either and probably looking at more like the Dallas Goddard level where I'm seriously considering starting my tight end build. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I just pulled up a underdog draft war room on draft sharks. And yeah, I know these are still just my projections. We haven't gone through the process of, you know, um, you know, factoring in how how you and the rest of the guys feel, but Kelsey comes in eighth overall in our rankings and Mark Andrews is at 20th overall. So what, what did you say their ADPs were? They are, uh, well, they're both inside the top 17. Um, okay. Kelsey's right at the end of round one, I believe. And Mark Andrews is at 17th overall. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so we have Andrews a bit lower. We have Kelsey right around where he's going to me. They're fine. I mean, Kelsey could see a massive target share this season, right? If, if, you know, Juju and MBS and Sky Moore don't work out. I would say this is somewhere that both of them make sense if you're drafting a single lineup that you're, you know, a team that you're setting the lineup all season and you want somebody that you're trusting as your tight end one. I think they yeah. lose value in best ball where you're combining two or three tight ends and hoping to get week to week value. I think that's where we see a closing of the gap in value between those guys and the rest of the field. Yeah, that's fair, um, especially with 
a bunch of those, you know, late round tight ends that we talked about that have upside, you might be better off just, you know, spending three later round picks on those types of guys. Yeah, for sure. Anybody else on the dislike list? Robert Tunyon is going tight end 14 on underdog. I'm not really sure (laughs) what that's about. Yeah. I mean, I I get the path to upside with, you know, uh, losing Devontae Adams, um, ton of targets up for grabs. Um, But I mean, Tunyon had one good season that was just touchdown field and he's coming off a torn ACL in October. So, you know, there's a chance he's at least not full go for the start of the season. So that that's like 10 spots higher than we have him ranked. You know, Tunyon should be going, at least down with the Gerald Everett's and the and Joku's, and I I prefer those guys over him straight up. So there, there's just no way I'm touching Tony unless his ADP drops by like ten spots among tight ends. That's so ridiculous. I didn't even notice it. I mean, <laughs> I just looked over it because I wasn't yeah. looking for Robert Tunyon. I, that's that's crazy. Um, yep. They've been talking up Tyler Davis a little bit. I guess I shouldn't say they. I think it's Rob Domofsky mentioned Tyler Davis as somebody yeah. that the front office likes and quoted, you know, a front office guy saying so. So I, I don't even think that Robert Tunyon is a lock to be their number one tight end. I'm not saying by Tyler Davis. I'm just saying we don't know for sure that Robert Tunyon is even, you know, the dominant tight end target for these packs. Right. So there's, there's absolutely no buy on him at that level. Yep. Let's hit on some more specific to PPR <laughs> targets. I don't think we need to go through as much because a lot of the guys that we already talked about, I think are just yeah. values everywhere, but there are some that also become better values in PPR scoring and um, specific to sites. So we'll skip over quarterback unless you have anybody else, because I think we already mentioned the guys and the scoring doesn't change there. Yeah, uh, so we can start with running backs. I guess the first guy that stood out to me um, is Najee Harris is going 110 in these FFPC basketball drafts. That's, you know, and it's only, you know, four or five spots later than I think he should be going. But, uh, man, I would love to get Najee Harris uh, at the tail end of the first round in these drafts. I mean, second league-wide in carries last year, first among running backs and targets. He had 16 more total opportunities than any other running back, and I think they're going to feed him again. He's a guy I just I just like. I mean, again, it's it's only a few spots, but that's pretty big when you're talking about a round one pick. I gotta say, I just don't. I think that his targets are coming way down this year Why? because the two because the two quarterbacks that we have there are different types than what Ben Roethlisberger was last year. Roethlisberger is like sitting in a recliner hoping that somebody's going to take the tray from him. Both Mitchell Trubisky and Kenny Pickett are mobile guys that would rather run for yardage than dump off to a running back. So I think we're going to see a drastic decline in the Mm -hmm. target count for Najee Harris. And he just wasn't an efficient scorer on the touches he did get. So if we get any decline in the carry total, and again, I don't think that there is, I don't think there's a path to him seeing a big decline in carry share, but if the offense isn't great, then that could just be low value touches versus other guys in that range. So if he does lose significant target share, that could just hit him harder than it's going to hit other guys in that range. And I just don't, I don't see the spike week potential that say Dalvin cook has in the same range. So Najee Harris has not been a guy that I have liked where he's going. Interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't see a drastic decline in targets. I, I projected him for 77 or 78 targets this season. I think he was like 93 or 94 last year. So I do have him coming down a bit, but um, I, mean, I think he's a good pass catcher. They spent a first round pick on him um, and he, he's going to be on the field for, you know, 80 plus percent of the snap. So that fact alone is going to get him plenty of targets. I, I think he's, you know, still one of the best three or four touch bets in the NFL. And, he, you know, in, and even in these basketball leagues, like especially early on, like I, I like the guys that lay a nice floor for me. I like, you know, that I can get, you know, 20 PPR points out of Nasha Harris most weeks, even if, you know, doesn't give me those, you know, 30 point weeks that, you know, the McCaffrey's or even the Dalvin Cooks might give me. 
Yeah, but I think liking Najee Harris in that range, and I, I've certainly looked at him and thought maybe I'm underrating him this year, but I don't I, I don't look at him and and worry about being out on him the same way that I would worry about being out on Dalvin Cook, who I think has showed us a much higher ceiling fantasy-wise than Najee Harris possesses. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't even disagree that Cook has a higher ceiling. I think he's much riskier, though. Where did Harris come in in your PPR rankings among running backs? I want to say he was like RB... 11 i don't have him in front of me wow. but yeah right. it was lower than i expected that. and then i looked at it and i was like oh, i don't disagree with anything that i did to him there maybe i'm low on the targets but they have a lot of guys there and i just i, I think that their qb situation is switching from a guy that was looking in the short range all the time to guys that are not going to be doing so so i, I think there's more risk than it seems like on him okay that's a guy we'll have to be talking about throughout the offseason here i guess I do think that later on there's a nice value range at running back and probably even more so for PPR just because we can mix in reception upside with these guys as well as uh, touchdown potential. But it's like it differs a bit depending on what site you're playing on. But from about round seven through round 11, we've got running backs, including guys like uh, Miles Sanders, Clyde Edwards, Elaire, both of the Patriots guys, Cordero Patterson, AJ Dillon, Tony Pollard, Kareem Hunt, Melvin Gordon, like guys that have a season opening role, some of them look like the number one backs for their teams have pass catching roles and also have the path to touchdown upside. Yeah. I would prefer guys in that range that have that touchdown upside over somebody like Chase Edmonds. But, you know, even if Chase Edmonds is somebody that you want to focus on in that range, I think he's going at a fine value level. And like the only reason that I haven't bought more shares of all of these players to this point is because of what we talked about earlier, where I like the, you know, workhorse types that are going at the top of the draft and are easier to get than ever. So if I start a draft with Dalvin cook and Saquon Barkley, then I'm less likely to be getting two guys in this range. Yeah. I'm with you there. Um, and I'm especially with you on Clyde Edwards layer. He's a guy I'm just, I'm just going to kind of bet on Patrick Mahomes and the Andy Reid offense and buy Clyde Everett-Alaire going at RB29 right now uh, in these FFPC basketball drafts. He's 23rd among running backs in our PPR rankings. Um, he He's finished top 25 in PPR points per game in each of his first two seasons, you know, just despite being disappointing. And, and he has been disappointing, you know, from a real-life perspective and an efficiency perspective. But, um, I mean, they, they've lost – as of now, they've lost Daryl Williams and Jarek McKinnon. Uh, both those guys are still available. So, you know, we'll see if they bring both or, or either one of them back, but those guys combined for 77 targets last season. Um, and all Kansas city's added so far is Ronald Jones. who you know, was disappointing himself in Tampa Bay offers nothing in the passing game. So I do think as it stands now, Everett Delaire should be the pass catching back in Kansas city. I'm not exactly sure how carries are going to be divvied. We'll, we'll learn hopefully this summer, but again, you know, just being able to get, the potential maybe likely lead back in a chiefs offense at RB 29. That's just a shot I'm going to take right now. It's fine. If he started draft season being hesitant on CEH and thinking they're going to do something to replace him. But yeah. if you haven't changed that stance to this point, then you're just like, you have a bias against CEH. He's not, he hasn't been good, but he doesn't have to be. He's the number one running right. back for the chiefs right now. The guy that they brought in stunk so bad with his team that they let him walk away already. So Ronald Jones is not, you know, I guess, is there a chance that he outscores Clyde Edwards E. Lair this year? Sure. But the biggest knock on Ronald Jones is that he offers absolutely nothing in the yeah. passing game. So he's not taking that away from Clyde Edwards-Elair. So 
right now it's, it's a, he's a ridiculous buy. And you know, another one of those players where I have to be like, all right, I can't take him in every draft because I'm going to kill myself, yeah. you know, kill myself roster wise, not <laughs> you know, physically. Yeah. And Jones, by the way, signed a one year, one and a half million dollar deal. Half of that guaranteed 750,000 guaranteed. That is, you know, nothing. Um, and that, that doesn't mean everything. If he comes in and plays well, I'm sure he's going to you know get the ball, but it, tells you the chiefs weren't like, you know, falling over themselves to get him. And it tells you that the league wasn't really too interested in him in free agency. Yeah. I mean, the the arguments against CEH right now are what, because Ronald Jones, I mean, get out of here with that. And because CEH Mm -hmm. sucks. Okay. But clearly he didn't suck bad enough for the chiefs to take an early running back. And if we're worried about them re-signing Daryl Williams or Jarek McKinnon at this point, I I'm just, I'm not talking you through that concern with CEH, I'll just go ahead and take him after you let him fall. Yeah. And like from the Chiefs perspective, they, you know, spent a first round pick on this guy, you know, a, a, a few years ago. So I'm sure they, you know, want to give him another shot and they, they want him to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, who else you got from this list? So I'm keeping my eye on Antonio Gibson. Um, his ADP is now in the mid fourth round and I think it's still falling. Um, and it, it's obviously been a rough off season for him. Um, just some of the stuff coming out of Washington and then the moves they have made re-signing JD McKissick and then drafting Brian Robinson in the third round. So, you know, Gibson should be falling down rankings in an ADP right now, but I think there's a chance. And to me in the mid fourth round, that's, that that's, I'll take shots on him there. Cause I don't know, you know, maybe I, Maybe there's a chance his carries decline this season. Maybe he starts to do more in the passing game, which is, you know, to me, always what he should have been. He should have been a guy who's getting, you know, 10 to 12 carries, but, you know, getting four or five targets. And you know, maybe they envision him in that role now with Brian Robinson. I don't know. He's just – he's talented enough and has that pass-catching upside where, you know, I think he's okay in the fourth round. And if he starts to drop into, like, round five, round six, I'm going to be, you know, definitely taking shots on him at those prices. I think he profiles like a dead zone running back right now. Like if they wanted to give him more targets, they wouldn't have made sure to bring back JD McKissick. And that, you know, that's what they did. They let him hit the market and then they were like, Oh crap, he's about to sign with the bills. We got to keep him. And then, you know, adding Brian Robinson, they said that they want to split the touches. So I have some Antonio Gibson early on before we knew all this stuff. I think at this point he's, he's a guy that I, and, and lukewarm on at best, but you know, we'll see what the summer looks like for him moving over to wide receiver. I think that there are, well, there's one more crowded situation, which is the jets and Corey Davis at wide receiver 67 going in the middle of round 19 on FFPC's wide receiver 66 mm-hmm. on DraftKings, And you know, he's another one of those that excites nobody. And that's what makes him a value. Corey Davis. I don't think he's better than Elijah Moore. I don't think that he will wind up being a better player than Garrett Wilson, but he's going nine rounds behind Garrett Wilson and ADP on FFPC right now. He's 13 rounds behind Elijah Moore. And Corey Davis is currently five rounds down from where he started draft season, which we already looked like a value proposition. So I think that there is, I'm not betting on Corey Davis to lead Jets wide receivers and targets, but is there a chance that that happens? Yeah, I think there's a chance. So when there's that big a separation between him and the competitors, uh, I think he's somebody to stash in PPR drafts. Yeah, it, it, uh, it's not fun to draft Corey Davis, but I've I've done it. I'm looking at the best ball Mania three draft I've going on right now, and I took him at 157th overall as my seventh wide receiver. Um, I, I just think you know his his volume is going to give him a good chance to beat that price. Mm-hmm. And we've seen spike week potential from him. He's got five weeks of yeah. 21 plus PPR points over the past two years. Yep. 
Um, I wanted to highlight Rashad Bateman here. He is wide receiver 34 in FFPC basketball drafts right now going at 801. Uh, we have him 29th in our PPR rankings. Um, and, you know, with, with the Marquise Brown trade, it is now Devin Duvernay, Tylen Wallace, and James Proch ahead of, or sorry, behind Rashad Bateman on Baltimore's depth chart. That, that could be another landing spot for Will Fuller. Um, we'll see. I do expect them. They, they have to do something else at wide receiver. I would think, um, but it's definitely set up where, you know, Bateman, who they took in the first round just a year ago, um, it's set up for him to emerge as, you know, the pretty clear leader in that wide receiver core. And, you know, even even in a low volume passing game, I think, you know, that that could be enough for him to, you know, finish as a top 25 wide receiver this season. Yeah, I think even if you don't project or rank Rashad Bateman ahead of where his ADP is right now, he's somebody that you make sure that you get some shares of because none of us really knows what Baltimore's offense is going to look like this year or what Rashad Bateman's specific role is going to look like or what Rashad Bateman's performance is going to look like because last year he was delayed by injury to start the season and was a rookie and was contending with Marquise Brown. The offense went pass heavier last year than the previous couple of years. We'll see if it stays that way or leans back toward the run this year. So he's like, a, he's a what if player that you buy and he's going yep. at a range where you buy a what if, because even if he just performs at ADP level, you know, that's fine, but there are paths for him to, you know, well outperform that level for sure. Some other later guys that maybe fit the unexciting category are Van Jefferson, KJ Osborne and Robbie Anderson. Uh, first of all, Robbie Anderson, just because he's going to make everybody who hears that puke wide receiver 73 on FFPC right now, wide receiver 76 on DraftKings. Robbie Anderson stunk last year and he finished wide receiver 50 in PPR before that wide receiver, 21, 40, 37 wide receiver, 18. If we go all the way back to Robbie Anderson's rookie season, he scored two touchdowns and he finished as wide receiver 66. So his absolute worst fantasy season to date was better than what his current ADP is where his role is definitely going to be bigger than it was there. So even if it's just that Robbie Anderson gives us two good weeks, that's a good buy in the wide receiver seventies. And then, you know, he could get traded somewhere else. He could get more targets like he got in 2020 with the Panthers. He could just remember how to play football and work a little bit better with Sam Darnold. There are plenty of ways that he can be decent and you're basically paying a free price for him. Van Jefferson and, and KJ Osborne to me are similar in that they don't get focused on because they're in crowded situations, but Van Jefferson's wide receiver 71 on FFPC wide receiver 64 on DK. He finished last season as wide receiver 37 in PPR. That was with Cooper Cup's dominant performance. It was with Robert Woods and Odell Beckham's Rams games combining into right. wide receiver 24. So both of those things were on his team and he was still wide receiver 37. The reason is the Rams played more three wide receiver sets than anybody. Their offensive coordinator from last year is now the Vikings coach. So KJ Osborne Similar placement to where Van Jefferson was in last year's Rams offense. Both of these guys you get in wide receiver six, seven, eight range, and they can easily be wide receiver fours, even with everybody healthy. And then they also present handcuff upside if any of multiple teammates get hurt. Great segue there between uh, Sean McVay's Rams and Kevin O'Connell's Vikings. Now I'm I'm totally with you there. I think that's going to be a big change we see in Minnesota as a whole lot more three wide receiver sets and, you know, their personnel kind of dictates that now with um, uh, Irv Smith kind of the only uh, viable tight end there. So, yeah, I mean, so the one note I wanted to make about KJ Osborne and Van Jefferson 
call. I, I like that a lot because even if they do resign Odell Beckham, he's going to miss at least the first half of the season. So you're going to get at least half of the season where Van Jefferson is a top three wide receiver for the Rams. Um, in Minnesota, there has been some Amir Smith Marset buzz. So we'll keep an eye on that. I'm not, I don't think Osborne is locked in as a number three wide receiver. I think he's the favorite for that job, but that's going to be a situation to watch. Cause I do think that third wide receiver job in Minnesota this season, not probably not something, someone we're going to be using in lineup setting leagues, but I think there's going to be some, some best ball value to that spot. For sure. Especially with the recent injury history on uh plus 30 Adam Thielen. <laughs> that's right. I before we finish up, I want to get your thoughts on Marquise Brown and I, I can't put him in overpriced range because I don't know if mm-hmm. like what Arizona is going to look like for him, but in several places, both on underdog and I, I think on FFPC, I didn't um, write this down specifically, but in, in multiple places, he's a round four pick. He's wide receiver 18 on underdog. He's wide receiver 19, I believe, on FFPC. Yeah. I It strikes me as earlier than I'm willing to pay for Marquise Brown. Uh, but what do you think about him? Yeah, that's too early for me. You know, he's wide receiver 24 right now in our PPR rankings. And Brown's a guy I would like to be in on. You know, he, you know, he, he was a first round pick. He's commanded high target shares throughout his career. Um, and he has that rapport with Kyler Murray now from their time at Oklahoma. Uh, you have the DeAndre Hopkins suspension for the first six games of the season. Obviously there is a lot working in Brown's favor and, you know, he's at least, you know, theoretically a good best ball player with his big playability. But uh, yeah, wide receiver 18s again, a little too rich for me. I'd probably, like to make sure I get some shares. You know, definitely again, that's a that's a Kyler Murray thing where if I'm I'm drafting a bunch of him, you know, Brown is obviously the the, the best stack partner with him. Um yeah, I, I think that's a little too high. Hopefully he, he hopefully comes down a little bit as we get into the summer. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how this season goes with him and see how his ADP goes once we get more into lineup setting drafts because he could be a, a player that you draft and play early and then look to trade as yeah. DeAndre Hopkins' return is on the horizon and you know just whatever else can happen. Yeah, for sure. Anybody else before we head out? You want to get to some tight ends because um, I, I think the tight ends you know on FFPC are interesting with the you know one point five PPR. Just it's. Interesting to see how that changes our rankings and then how it impacts ADP. So the two guys I wanted to highlight there, one guy who's a little undervalued, who I like more in FFPC is Cole Komet. Because I think you're buying him for the volume. The guy scored zero touchdowns last year. He's going to score some touchdowns this season, but I don't think he's going to be a big touchdown guy in that Bears offense. But I do think he's going to be a nice volume guy. I mean, even last year, he was eighth among all tight ends and targets, 12th in catches. And that was with Allen Robinson there for you know most of the season. He just only missed a couple games. So I think Cole Komet at tight end 15 in FFPC ADP. It's actually a spot lower than where he is in our rankings. So I think he's undervalued on FFPC and an overvalued tight end in FFPC to me is Dawson Knox. Um, He loses value to me in this format because he's more of a touchdown guy, less of a volume guy. Look at our FFPC rankings. He is tight end 16, but he's tight end 10 in FFPC ADP. Knox was just 20th among tight ends and targets last season, 18th in catches. You know, again, he kind of lives more off the touchdowns. I think that'll continue to be the case this season. So Knox is a guy, again, I'd, you know, draft more underdog and draft less of him on FFPC. Yeah. The, the bill that I'm buying is Stefan Diggs and probably a little bit of Devin Singletary. I haven't really done it so much at this point. Um, I, I don't know. I guess we'll kind of see how it, it seems like they're planning to use everybody, but I, at the increased prices on those guys, it's tough for me to really buy into the pass offense beyond Stefan yeah. Diggs, who has been one of my higher owned players uh, across positions and across, you know, draft levels and PPR so far. 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's really just not much profit left in the Bills passing game, right? Like everyone knows at this point that they're you know fast paced, pass heavy. It's it's the pass offense you want to be invested in, but there's it, there's it's tough to profit off it anymore. And that was the time to do that was you know two years ago and even last year. Yeah, and on the tight end front, Evan Ingram is even lower yeah. in FFPC <laughs> drafts, which is absurd. You can go through nine rounds of an FFPC draft, and you mentioned it's one and a half PPR there. You can get through nine rounds without a tight end and still wind up with a tight end core of David Njoku, Gerald Everett, and Evan Ingram, and I think be in excellent shape. You know, it's scary because I feel like we say this a lot of years that tight ends deep and there's these later on guys we like, and you you look back at results and it's like most of those guys end up being nothing. And it turns out you you know wanted to get one of the top six or seven. Um, but man, I'm, I, I get, I'm, maybe I'm falling forward again this year, but I, I really like, you know, a handful of these guys that you can get in the, you know, tight end 20 plus range. And I think we have to look at the different stages of the year and the different things that we're drafting, because if I'm looking to draft one tight end, I can start week after week, then waiting until that range and taking those three guys yeah. has a lot of frustration potential for me. But yeah. if I'm putting those three guys into together into a lineup that a computer is going to set for me based on who happens to score touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I'm not even the slightest bit scared. Yep, good point. I'm only scared for my opponents because I'm too nice a guy to want to hurt people. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to check out fresh articles from me and Jared, along with free previews of the player profiles that we are all currently working on. You can build your own customized draft war rooms for any draft. I'll be taking one of those tonight, Jared, into my first auction draft of the year against the Fantasy Index crew. Nice. Um... Looking forward to a recap article on that, maybe. I have to see. I always have to ask them what the rules are because it's for their oh, right. reasons. Yep. They don't like to give yep. away too much, but I think that they usually allow you to write up your own team. So I should be able to do something on that. But either way, it's always a draft that I look forward to because it's the first auction of the year. It's early in draft season still. Uh, kind of lets you gauge where others are in their valuations. Hey, good stuff. Get uh, get some Gabriel Davis and James Conner for me. <laughs> I doubt, I doubt that I'm going to be paying what those guys cost. Those might be guys that I post to try to get somebody else to, to blow their budget so that I can take somebody else. Okay. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for some of those.